More than 20% of people in faith communities are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. But sadly, churches are often the last place a victim of abuse can find help and healing. I'm Kelly Downing, and my dream is a church where survivors like me and so many others can feel safe, be heard, and find healing. Until that happens, this is Survivor Sanctuary, a podcast for survivors of sexual abuse who are navigating the road to healing and for anyone who wants to be a part of the major heart renovation the church needs so that our faith communities can truly become sanctuaries for survivors. Welcome to another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. I'm Kelly, and I'm so happy that you're joining me for another episode of the podcast. Now, as I promised on the last episode of Survivor Sanctuary, this time we're going to piggyback just a little bit on our last conversation with a very special guest. Now, we've had him on the podcast before. You may know him as Joshua Yoder, the host of the Unbinding the Bible podcast, which is amazing, by the way, and you definitely need to look that up. But I know him as my cousin, and we grew up around each other, spending summers together and having a great time. And now Joshua is a pastor, an Anglican priest, actually, if you want to be specific about it. Well, I asked Joshua to come on the podcast today to help me talk about why episodes like the last episode of this podcast are so difficult. And so he is going to join me now as we kick off Survivor Sanctuary. Well, welcome, Joshua. I'm so glad to have you back on Survivor Sanctuary. It's been a while since we recorded our last podcast together. It has, but I'm really glad to be here, Kelly. Thank you so much. I had a blast with you last time, and I imagine this will be just as fun. Yeah, it was great, and I had such good feedback from the episode that you did. And then when I teased a couple weeks ago about the podcast that was coming up with you on it, I heard a lot of feedback from listeners who were really excited <laughs> for this episode. So I'm glad that you're back. Um, I just want to start just for our audience that doesn't know. The reason this episode sort of came to be, um, which I would be happy to have you on ep every episode, that's just the truth, but the reason that this was kind of like birthed was from a conversation you and I actually had on the phone maybe last month sometime, and I was communicating with you that I was a little bit nervous about a podcast episode that I really wanted to do, but I was nervous because it was going to be political, and that's how I turned termed it political. And I was nervous. And now the podcast has aired and, and you know nobody has sent me any letters or emails telling me that they hate me. So that's good. But I wanted to talk about mm -hmm. the fact that vaccine mandates for some survivors of sexual abuse are very difficult because of the fact that we've already dealt with having our body autonomy kind of stripped away from us and making decisions for our own body was something that at some point as a, a sexual abuse victim, like you, you don't get a decision. You don't get to be the owner of your own body for times. And it's traumatic. And part of the healing process is kind of reclaiming your bodily autonomy. So I knew that there were survivors, specifically survivors of sexual abuse, who are really struggling with being forced to put something in their body. And the reason I was talking to you about my nerves surrounding that was because while I, as a victim or a survivor of sexual abuse, I totally understand that feeling of just like that helpless feeling like 
you're being stripped of your bodily autonomy. And it has nothing to do with what I believe about vaccines being effective or, you know, saving lives or anything like that. So it was very difficult for me to be like, how do I get this point across without making it extremely polarizing? And I think I just asked you the question, like, why does everything have to be so political? Like, why is it that we do that? And I loved your response to me, where basically you educated me a little bit (laughs) um, about things not necessarily being political, but uh, being partisan. And that made a lot of sense to me uh, because everything, I guess, is pretty political. Uh, But it seems that within the church, and that's where I kind of want to focus today as like an extension of the last episode, within the church, it often seems like we have difficulty as congregations or pastors or leaders in really being supportive of victims and not necessarily of individual victims, because I think that you can find that in some churches, but there's like an issue with just talking about it openly in general, because we tend to view the subject of sexual abuse as a partisan like subject. So, oh no, you know, the Me Too movement is left wing in quotes, you know, so I can't care about that because I'm not a liberal. Or in my case, like I can't identify with victims of sexual abuse who are struggling with the sense of a loss of bodily autonomy with a vaccine mandate because I'm a liberal and that's like a right wing to be anti-vaccine mandate. So it's just like this thing where it seems like there's, we just kind of pick aside, like, does this line up with my political views or does it not? And then I decide from there whether or not I can care about it. So it does happen a lot in the church. And I think that's one of the reasons that churches struggle so much to really speak out against sexual abuse. And we find a lot of things being swept under the carpet because it does tend to seem like, oh, you know, sexual abuse, sexual assault, that's a partisan issue. That's a liberal issue. And here in the church, we don't care about that. Like we don't want to come off as being liberal. So I just wanted you to chat a little bit because I know you've dealt with in, in your church and in, in your sermons, like even recently you told me with this idea of like a partisanship and what we can care about and not care about. Well, first of all, I want to say um, I really appreciated your last episode. I listened to that one, and I, I felt like you did a really great job Thank you. of raising the tension that naturally exists, and you're both hesitant with wanting people to see you going too far to one side, but you, you really, I, I, I call it a tightrope, and I think that's for good reason, because it feels like we can really fall off on either side of that, and there's a very fine line to walk. And I, I felt like you walked it very well. Um, and, and I think for the church as a whole to be very open to understanding that sexual abuse survivors have, like you were talking about that, that deep concern and care for bodily autonomy. And when that is taken away, those are real sensations and real experiences that the survivors themselves don't even have any control over. Like that's just happening. That is a reality. Right. And so for Christians in general, I find it this really important that we approach the topic. Um, we approach survivors, we approach vaccines, we approach the whole thing from our stance as citizens of the kingdom of God, not as liberals or conservatives. Right. And, um, 
And that's a very hard thing to do, I, I think. But I, I do think it's helpful. I mean, based on the conversation we had, where yeah, I do I do push back quite a bit. Um, I try to do it gently because that's my personality. But I do want to push back when people say, "Oh, everything's so politicized" or "Everything's so political." Right. Um, the reality is, everything is political, and I don't mean in in America's modern sense of. Um, you know, election cycles or voting or speeches or things like that. What I mean by politics is just put the word political or the word politics just means how to arrange city life, like how to arrange relationships when you're dealing with any more than one person in a certain setting. And so, um, you know, it sounds strange to say this, but, but Christianity actually is a politic. It, it is a a group of gathered people who have committed to living by a certain set of rules. Um, we How are we going to deal with offenses? How are we going to deal with our money? What are we going to do with violence? And, and how are we going to treat our enemies? How are we going to arrange social structures within family life? How are we going to deal with disagreements? Like These are all the things that the New Testament talks about repeatedly. And for the church, the church is supposed to be a contrary or an alternative alternative politic in the middle of a world that is filled with political concerns. So um, when a Christian says, oh, don't make it political, if, if they say that and actually mean it, they've, they've fundamentally misunderstood what it means to be a Christian. And so, I, I mean, just briefly, if I could... Yesterday, I, I preached something similar to this. In the church calendar, if if your church follows the liturgical year, yesterday was Christ the King Sunday. It is the last Sunday in the church calendar. The beginning of Advent starts the beginning of the new, the new church year. And so yesterday, our focus was Jesus as the King. And so the one passage in the New Testament that seems to address that is when Jesus is facing Pilate and Pilate asks him if he's the King of the Jews and Jesus he says, you know, did you make, did you decide this of your own or did somebody tell you this about me? And he's like, man, I'm not a Jew. It's your own people who brought you to me. So what's the deal? Are you a king or are you not? And Jesus says to him, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would be fighting to prevent my arrest from the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. And so yesterday, the, the theme of my sermon was just what does Jesus mean when he says my kingdom is not from this world? And, uh, you know, I, I don't think Jesus means that his kingdom only has to do with the afterlife or that it only has to do with the spiritual realm or that it's limited to matters of the heart or that it's a private affair unrelated to politics or social matters. I, I think it, it involves the spiritual realm. It involves the afterlife. It involves the heart, but it's not limited there. And sadly, I think a lot of Christians think one or two or several of those um, but we instinctively know that political structures and social structures do matter. But since the Christian faith isn't really there to address those, then the best things Christians can do is just side with whatever nation state entity exists that will care about those issues. And in America, we tend to have one of two choices. We either go for, you know, the liberal party or the conservative party, the Republicans or the Democrats. And what we naturally like to do is imagine that God's ways of working in the world and therefore Christians' ways of being relevant in the world 
are best done when we line ourselves up completely with one of those two parties. And I grew up in a context that if I can be blunt, just straight up decided that to be politically conservative was God's party. Right. I mean, if you're a faithful Christian, you're going to vote for the party. And and sadly, it, all of the issues involved get blinded under abortion as the one issue narrowly defined. Um, the one who will fight against abortion, I'm, I'm a one issue voter. And, and I don't think that that's actually a faithful way to be a Christian. Um, and the reason why I don't is because when Jesus says my kingdom is not of this world, what he's actually saying is, my kingdom doesn't have an earthly origin. It doesn't follow earthly agendas. It doesn't come through earthly means, and it is not threatened by earthly opposition. You know, early on in John 18, P- Peter picked up a sword. Um, and if there were ever a just cause and a righteous cause to fight for in the world, I'm pretty sure it would be Peter's cause who felt it was his job to defend right. Jesus. Like, I mean, can you find a more righteous cause than Jesus? Like, good luck. I don't know of one. And when Peter tried to use an earthly means, an earthly method to bring about his desired end, Jesus rebukes him. He rebukes him for picking up a sword in an attempt to carry on God's agenda because God's agenda doesn't come through earthly means. And so what we actually have as Christians is we are called to be kingdom of God citizens. We're called to care for people within the kingdom of God in the way that Jesus calls us to care for them and the manner in which he calls us to care for them, while at the same time living in a world where the kingdom of the world, America, (laughs) if you will, has its own means and its own agendas and its own origins, and its own oppositions. And so if we align ourselves too closely with one of those, like clearly the opposition to the liberal party is the conservative party, right? And so you get arguments, and you get debates, and you get scripture being thrown around like grenades <laughs> at one another, who, who can defend which side better, and we're all missing it because God's agenda is not advanced that way. And so I feel like we're in a place where your episode a couple weeks ago was very timely because the the church has to begin stripping itself away from all of these earthly allegiances that we have aligned ourselves with. Um, because to be blunt, all of these things are going to pass away, right? Um, you know, eternal life and the everlasting kingdom that will not pass away, that's worth something in the kingdom of God, because every other kingdom will pass away. And that includes our current partisan discussions. That includes America as a country, as hard as that is for some people to grasp. Um, But the reality is that's the case. And so for us, it is okay to have differing opinions about the best way to run America. But when you're on the liberal side or the conservative side, It's not fair, nor is it wise as Christians to imagine that when someone says something that sounds partisan, to imagine that their first and only reason for bringing that up is to further advance a partisan agenda. I mean, we we have to start talking like Christians. Christians in first century Rome 
were never even given the option to vote. Rome certainly wasn't carrying out God's will on the earth, and no one ever would have imagined that to be the case. So Christianity, though, as a religion or as a politic, thrived in the first century because it wasn't dependent on these governing structures, if you will, to, to, to work in a certain way. And so I, I'm spending a lot of my time recently or more and more cor- correcting people's language. Um, you can have disagreements from one Christian to the next about which policy you think is best or which one is going to cause the most flourishing in our country. Just understand you are having a debate about what is the best way to run a kingdom of this world. We are not having a debate about which way is the best way to bring in the kingdom of God. And when you make that distinction, I hope it will over time silence a little bit of the frustrating conversation that centers around people shutting one another down and allowing us to say, let's be honest, if we're really following Jesus into the kingdom of God, he's going to challenge long-held loyalties on both sides of our partisan aisle. And it needs to, because if we find ourselves firmly in a camp where Jesus is never able to rebuke us, well, then we're in dangerous territory because he's got plenty to rebuke us for. And we keep giving him more in my mind. Right. So. I just want to throw this out there because I'm curious and maybe you have some thoughts on it. Why is it so hard for us to not do that, to not be partisan? Like, why is it so difficult for us to just look at a situation and instead of like, you know, looking at a victim of sexual abuse and saying, okay, this person is hurt and they're wounded um, and not have it jump immediately to, well, I can't talk too much about like sexual abuse or sexual assault because that's going to make it look like I care about this other political side or that's going to make them right. Like I was reading a, um, research article actually from Syracuse University, I think, about how political bias is impacting believing sexual assault victims. Like people basically choose whether or not they're going to believe someone or they might start talking about like, oh, false accusations are a thing um, based on their political biases. And it's just so crazy to me. So I'm just wondering like, what is it about us that just kind of drives us to do that? Yeah, that is an outstanding question. Um, and I definitely don't claim to know all of it. Um, I have a couple ideas, I guess. One of them is that we like to be part of group think settings. Uh, we find a lot of comfort in that. It's very isolating, I think, to be of, of a truly Jesus's mindset. We, we don't feel at home in any one setting. And, and it's, you know, we, we said there's strength in numbers, but there's comfort in numbers. Yes. And when you look across the country and you see half the country in support of your position, there's a lot more comfort that is found there. If you were to follow Jesus, who even himself was completely left alone by his closest friends and closest followers near the, the last hours of his life. Um, that's what he calls us to, is he calls us to follow him when no one else will. And um, it's a it's a fearful thing, quite honestly. And so I, I do think that that has something to do with it. We're afraid of being labeled the wrong thing. We're afraid of, of what it will feel like to be completely isolated, only holding on to Jesus and his words um, because we've grown far too comfortable 
with a narrative that allows us to think we are both following Jesus and receiving half of the country's support in our political conclusions. Right. Um, so, so that for me, I think is a big one. It, it's this stripping of the, the earthly loyalties we think are just fine to have from uh, what Jesus actually calls us to give up. And, and I think it's, I think a subtle rebuke is in order. I think we have, we have ordered our desires, affections, and decision-making processes through a partisan agenda before the kingdom of God. And I think that that's incredibly misguided. And part of the reason why I think that's the case is because for years, people, I mean, at least I did, and, and maybe some of your listeners have too, grew up in a setting which likes to label America a Christian nation. It, it comes up with an origin myth that this country is God's specially blessed nation in the world. And therefore, when America is aligning itself with God's principles, then God is going to give it extra blessing. And when you merge things like that in an idolatrous, unhealthy, unbiblical way and call it righteous, you're in for a world of it. It, it will feel like trying to pull glued boards to get up boards that have been glued together, trying to rip them apart. Like you're going to splinter and fracture things all over the place because we have combined things that have should have never been combined and trying to separate them now is incredibly hard. It's incredibly hard. And I'm not sure it will ever be separated in my lifetime. I'm going to try until I die, but I kind of feel like I'm going to be speaking in an uphill battle. Um, but that's okay. I, I'm, I can be a pretty stubborn person, so I'm going to go with that. <laughs> yeah, it's good. You, you need to, I think, in the position that you're in and trying to like change minds that have been really like just set. Like you said, you know, I grew up in similar, I think even more like fundamentalist and more like strict and legalistic type of church. Um, but kind of the similar thing where to be a Christian was to be a Republican and I began kind of at a younger age, sort of rejecting that idea, not necessarily rejecting every, you know, belief of the party system or, or even of the church, just like rejecting the idea that to be right with God was to be one political party. Because like you said, like if, if God's kingdom is not of this world, why are we trying to shove it into a box that says Republican or a box that says Democrat? But something interesting that's happened to me as I've begun to speak out about sexual abuse and as I've started to talk to people and just learn about people from all kinds of backgrounds and not from the churches that I went to, it seems like even though that was my experience growing up, I'm seeing a lot of the same thing on the opposite political spectrum where it's like we've kind of grown up and we've rejected this idea that Jesus is a Republican and our, our reasons for rejecting it a lot of the time, and I'm not saying all the time, but a lot of the time our reasons for rejecting that are arguments for why Jesus would more likely be a Democrat. And I feel like that right. really just misses the mark entirely because then you find yourself on the other side pointing fingers and being self-righteous and saying, no, 
your reasons for thinking Jesus is a Republican are wrong. Here's why he's actually a Democrat, because he would never do this and he would never do this. And and he wouldn't put children in cages or he wouldn't let anyone go unvaccinated because they could potentially be hurting their fellow man. Or And it just seems like you've got kind of like a mass exodus to a different side that's almost it's like an equal but opposite position where everybody's still fighting and mad at each other. So do you do you have any like I don't want to say tips, but yeah, tips. Um, you're probably talking about some of them in your message series that you're doing right now if you're, you know, talking about this subject, but ways to just kind of start to untangle ourselves from the idea that there is like a righteous earthly political party that Jesus definitely like endorses because I feel like that's pretty much every side of this battle is one side saying Jesus endorses this political party the other side saying no he definitely would not because you're terrible instead he endorses ours because we're on the right side so how do we get away from that yeah it's funny when you talk about people who come to some point and they say, oh, he's not Republican. Jesus is actually Democratic. We're, we're still playing the same game. We're still imagining. We, we've basically moved ourselves along the line of from the right toward the left when Jesus isn't even on the line at all. So the, king, the kingdom of God being not from this world means he's not playing that game. And, and the, this is what I'm saying. We might look at a particular policy, let's say um, an immigration policy or tax reform, or we might look at some policy that our party is in favor of and imagine that God is pleased or that God's agenda for the world would be enacted through that policy. And this is part of where I think we're naturally convinced that playing the game according to that those set of rules are the only options. This is why Jesus confounded everybody when he came, because he's saying, look, if my kingdom isn't advanced through earthly agendas, through earthly means, or has no earthly opposition, then to, to be in a particular party enforcing those rules vying for control, wanting to be the lawmakers and therefore the law enforcers, those are all ways of bringing about what we think is righteousness in an unrighteous way. We're we're forcing that agenda onto other people. That was never Jesus's way. His way was always by invitation only. This gets right back to your discussion about the vaccination. Um, When you decide that what would be good for people would be to have this vaccine, but then your decision to force that vaccine is not good for people. Well, now you've got a major conflict. Like this is the conflict that surfaced in the New Testament, and it's the most aggravating one for religious people. And that is the fact that when Jesus healed people, he didn't just heal them on any old day of the week. He seemed to save up his healings explicitly for the Sabbath. And he ticked off the religious leaders more times than I can count. And the trouble with the Sabbath was according to the law, the Sabbath was there for you. You're not to do any work. Your your manservant, your maidservant aren't to work. Your donkey and your cattle, they're not to do any work. You're to completely take this day of rest. It's holy to the Lord. All right, so that was a law that the Lord desired for his people. Well, the Pharisees got a hold of this law and they decided, well, we better make sure that the people really don't break this law. So let's, we got to set a limit. Like you can only walk so far on the Sabbath because if you walk too far, 
that's going to be considered a chore and that's work. And if you work on the Sabbath, you're breaking God's law. And what happened was the Pharisees began to look then at cripples and, and lame people and blind people and people who are hunched over and they didn't see the Sabbath as a day when you could quote unquote work to help those people out. Instead, you said, well, no, Jesus can't reach down and touch a person. He can't bend down and make mud with his with dirt and his saliva because that's work and he can't touch a man's eyes this way. They basically had misunderstood the purpose or the reason why the Sabbath was given. And instead of using the Sabbath to bring flourishing and life to people, they stifled it all in the name of God. And so what Jesus says is, you know, man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. And when you mistake it, when you get those backwards, all hell breaks loose. And it's important to know the reason why the Sabbath was given in the first place was because Israel had just come out of Egypt, where for 400 years, they were absolutely oppressed, treated like garbage and as less than human, and were never given a day off. They were never given a rest. In fact, Pharaoh's booming economy was dependent upon a seven-day work week, 360 back then anyway, 360-day work year. It was a constant labor. Who cares if the Israelites are suffering? The Lord hears the cries of his oppressed people under that kind of bondage and delivers them from Pharaoh's clutches and sets them on a trajectory to live out a new and healthier version of human flourishing. And what's the first thing he tells them? You're not going to treat your manservant and your maidservant that way. You're going to give everybody a day off. You're going to let people relax and enjoy life the way it was intended to be enjoyed because people are not means to economic growth. Economic growth is there to serve the needs of the people. But if you get those backwards and people start getting abused as a result of this, then we need to correct it. That was the reason the Sabbath was given. It was given for man. But when you turn that around and you now make man here to serve the needs of the Sabbath, I think you're getting into the same conundrum that we have now with vaccines. The purpose of a vaccine is to serve the needs of people. It's to cause human flourishing. As soon as the attempt to do that causes the opposite of human flourishing in the life of a survivor, you now have to take a step back and start asking different questions. And I think we are hamstrung today in our inability to ask questions as Christians first, instead of asking questions as partisan politic defenders um, as our primary focus. And so, you know, it'd be the same reason, like, like if, uh, you know, the speed limit is 65 on the highway. You know, we, we would say, well, why does a speed limit exist? Well, a speed limit exists to protect human life. If you travel too quickly, you lose control of your vehicle, you could hit someone else, you could crash and kill yourself or anyone in your car. So we're going to set the speed limit at 65. Well, when an ambulance comes to your house because you've had, you know, cardiac arrest and they are transporting you to a medical facility to treat you before you die, do EMT drivers, do ambulance drivers have to follow the speed limit laws? No, they don't. Are they breaking the law, quote unquote, when they drive 80 on the way to the hospital? Technically, yes. And technically, no, because they are allowed to break that law because that law exists to protect human life. 
But if protecting human life demands breaking that speed limit, then by all means do it because we need to get them to safety and the quicker, the better. So I do think we, we need to think differently. And, and I don't have all the answers to this, Kelly. I mean, I'm a small town pastor who likes to think I'm on the right track, but there are so many areas to explore and so many things to consider. But our knee-jerk reaction for years has just been to dive right into the familiar. And Jesus calls us to be shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Like he knows that he's calling us to walk a tightrope. And I think we need to step up and start becoming a little more shrewd in the way we creatively think through what it means to be a faithful Christian in in a country, as opposed to thinking, you know, it's our job to be the movers and the shakers who are going to determine the fate of the country, which I kind of think is how Christians talk. Um, right. I think Jesus is calling us to something, something different. And um, as radical as it sounded for Peter to imagine that the kingdom of God is going to come in without a violent overthrow of Rome was absurd. Right. And I feel like today we need to be willing to embrace the absurd of, of what God is up to, realizing that God never sacrifices the care and concern for vulnerable people in order to bring about his good ends. And this is this garbage of you got to crack a few eggs to make an omelet. It's garbage. That should not be vocabulary that Christians use anyways, um, because Jesus never did that. And I think he's calling us to, to follow him in the same way. And I just like, it's just hearing you talk about like the way that it should be. And just looking at the way that God speaks about the brokenhearted and how God speaks about the oppressed and how Jesus spoke, it's like a craving, like just this like desperate desire in my heart that churches would really begin to actually focus on that instead of a political party and that we would be able to look at someone who's broken and hurting and that our first thought would not be, well, am I allowed to care about this? Does it align with my political affiliation? Um, Because that to me is just heartbreaking because I see people who are struggling within churches who have been sexually abused and it's just this, it's almost like impossible to get people to really care for and minister to those people. And a lot of it just comes down to this is not something that the church focuses on because we're not on the left. We're not liberal. We're not, you know, X, Y, Z. And, and to be fair, like, and I have mentioned, cause I like that. I, I don't want people to think for, you know, that I'm here just to bash one political party or affiliation or anything like that. To be fair, it happens sure. on both sides. I mean, I've, I've seen some just horrifying posts like, oh, if you, if you don't want to get vaccinated, then you shouldn't be treated. If you're dying in the hospital, oh, well, it's like you, you that's just like, right. you should just die because you don't deserve any care. And to hear stuff like that come from anybody is awful, but like to hear it come from people who claim to be Christ followers, whether they claim to be liberal Christ followers or conservative Christ followers. It's like, there are just things that as long as we focus on the partisanship, 
I think we miss Jesus in doing that. I, I don't think that there is a way to focus right. on both at all. I just, uh, not, not to say that everyone should just never care about politics again and just ditch any form of partisanship or that Christians shouldn't vote or anything extreme like that. But I find myself more and more and more just like in a, in a center place where it does feel lonely. And that's not to say that I'm doing what Jesus, you know, tells us we should do. It's not because I'm being so holy and spiritual. It is just literally because the hypocrisy of that drives me so insane that it's it is less and less possible as the years and months go by that I can grasp onto either side and be like oh you've got it going you know you're doing the right thing so I find myself more yeah. and more in this like middle place and one of the reasons why you know it was difficult for me to turn on the mic a couple of weeks ago and say hey like I'm not anti-vax. You know, I've encouraged people to get vaccinated, you know, for various reasons. I've listened to people talk to, about why they don't want to. And I've understood where they're coming from, even if I may not necessarily agree or I've done this or that. But when push comes to shove, why can't we get to like the heart of Jesus? And I'm speaking as to people who claim to be Christians, like the heart of Jesus, which is not going to condemn a person for thinking everyone should get a vaccine any more than he's going to condemn a person for thinking that no one should get one. It just seems to be like mm -hmm. so hard. And I just, I long for that in a religious setting, in a Christian setting where I could say to somebody who's like a Southern Baptist preacher, oh, this woman was sexually assaulted or this woman was sexually assaulted by a pastor. That seems to be even more difficult for people to like be able to get on board with. There's like an immediate, almost like a mistrust of any story that because it draws you back into that political like, oh, that's that's on that side. I can't care about that. Here's how we have to skirt around this issue. So I just like in my heart, I want to mm -hmm. see that. But how do we start like getting to that point? Yeah, I, I think one way to start is when when people identify under a partisan label, typically what that means is they've come down on agreement concerning a variety of issues. So what what we've done when we've when we've done that is we've concluded somehow that by deciding on XYZ issue, that puts us in the correct camp and therefore we can somehow claim a bit of righteousness because we agree positionally with x y or z position and what's interesting about the kingdom is that um, jesus spends very little time talking about that and much more time talking about heart and character transformation so it's one thing to identify yourself by a particular policy the real question would be how do you feel about and how do you treat another human being with whom you disagree on that policy? Um, that's an issue that the kingdom of God looks at. And so I feel like we've skirted that issue, right? So we're very quick to imagine that the enemies are those on the other side of the political aisle. And this is how you get those Facebook memes. This is how you get people both on the right and on the left speaking very volatile language toward other human yes. beings, both sides have completely misunderstood the Christian call to love their enemies and pray for those who persecute them. Like somehow, right, by, by playing along the game, as I've said, this line, we think that Jesus is on this line somewhere. 
He's not. He has completely called us to something so foreign as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. Well, that's not happening right now. Most people are looking for reasons to fight one another. They're not looking for every, under every rock and around every turn for a way to live at peace. They're not, they're not doing it because it, frankly, it's fun to have enemies. It's fun to slander people. It's fun to gossip about people that we think are stupid. Let's just be honest. I mean, if we can't be honest and tell the truth around our Christian friends, then let's just pack this thing up. But the fact is, Jesus is always interested in the heart. And so what I want to ask a person who gets all riled up online and finds it, you know, fun to, it is what's going on in your life that makes this so intoxicating to you? What what is it about your own identity or your own story or your own past experiences, which makes lighting somebody up on the internet such a thrill for you? Like Jesus is always interested, not in asking you whether you have a good reason to light somebody up. He's always asking what is going on in your heart that makes that so appealing. This is where the healing value of of Jesus's presence is so rich. And I feel like it's so overlooked in the church because we've just decided, like you said, either on the right or the left, well, this is clearly the, the position. This is clearly where we ought to land. And Jesus is calling us to love. He's calling us to lay down our lives. And you know that one of the themes I talk about fairly regularly on my podcast, just because it's hit me right between the eyes, is that Jesus and the cross of Jesus is not just the source of our salvation. I mean, it absolutely is the source. Everything about our life comes because of Christ's death and then his, his eventual resurrection. But the cross is also supposed to be the shape of our salvation. And what I mean by that is, according to the New Testament, the cross is meant to shape the way my life looks. Like my life is supposed to continually be this pouring out of myself unto death for the life and flourishing of those around me. It's exactly what Jesus did in inviting me into the kingdom to begin with. And as his follower, I too am to pour my own life out unto death for the benefit and flourishing of those around me. And so in our church, that's the language I used all during COVID. Like I'm not asking people whether they agree with the mask mandate. I'm asking them to wear a mask because it is a way, even if you think this is not real, right? right? There was plenty of that going on and people didn't even think this was real. And I'm not here to argue with you. I'm not here to hate you. That's what I've noticed is that if you're on the wrong side of the quote unquote righteous decision, then me in my righteousness now has a right to hate you and get mad at you for being the enemy of all righteousness. And I'm thinking, well, then are you being righteous in this moment? Because you're not treating this person as if, you know, you really care about their well-being and their flourishing. And I have to tip my hat to the members of our church um, had many of them who did not agree with the mask. They did not agree with social distancing. They did not like it, but they followed my recommendations because they understood the reason why we were choosing to do it. And I didn't make a big thing about vaccines. I tend to say, you know, you're adults. You can make a right. decision that is best for you, best for your family, 
Many of them came to me privately and said, for this reason and that, I'm not comfortable, but I am definitely going to keep wearing my mask and do the social distancing because I don't want people to think that I don't care about them. It's just, and so those provided rich opportunities for me as a pastor to shepherd them, to love them, to thank them for their willingness to sacrifice. And yet I completely can relate with their fears and their concerns. I mean, goodness, we could give ourselves the chance to be people interacting with other people, or we could just throw people under the bus and decide that it's positions and decisions and action, you know, and, and I think Jesus, the the church is visibly shaken, Kelly, the the church will never look post COVID the way it did pre COVID. Um, Everything is different now. People have decided that they didn't even need church for that year that they were gone and don't see any reason why they should go back. And um, I'm not threatened by, I don't think the kingdom of God is threatened by that, but I do think that the future of the church is going to look different than it, than it has been in, in generations past. And it's going to call us to ask which things did we create that we wanted to call God's working in the world and are we willing to let go of those things in order to make room for new ways in which God might choose to work? And that is a scary place. I mean, I'm not denying that, but we need to be people who are positioned first, right? Seek first the kingdom of heaven and God's righteousness and all of the things that we need, he'll provide for us. Like That's true. And I think we may need to cling to that more than ever now. Right. I think that's exactly what we need to do. And um, I mean, I touched on this a little bit, but it's just like this fear of mine and just watching, you know, I grew up as a pastor's kid. I grew up, you know, steeped in Baptist religion and then whatever denomination my parents felt like jumping to like that week. But I just, there was this excitement that like, oh, you know, we're finally starting to see some people understanding that, you know, maybe this, way that we've done church and done religion and done like Jesus and salvation, maybe like we're starting to see that some of it is really not Jesus at all. And it's just like our traditions or our, our political affiliation. And I was so excited that we started to get away from that. But something that, you know, has just been super disappointing is like, as there's like this mass exodus from evangelical Christianity, Uh, and people rejecting things that I agree that should be rejected in a lot of cases. Like there's a lot of stuff that, you know, I grew up with that I was taught that I'm just like, that's not necessarily really Jesus. It's kind of just something we added in there and it's harmful. Um, But at the same time, the excitement sort of dwindled down as the mass exodus began. And then it just seemed like it's sort of the same sort of like God's kingdom on earth type of a thing where now I'm just picking a new side where I can be angry at people who don't agree with me and picking a new side where like before it was okay if I hated you if you were a person who supported abortion and murdering babies you know like that's just what it was like you know it was okay if Mm -hmm. I hated you it was okay if I yelled at you and called you a stupid liberal and told you you're an idiot well now it seems like you know, instead of just like correcting to center or correcting to Jesus, I should say, which should be center. um, We've kind of like overcorrected to this. It's just like the opposite side of the same coin where it's like, it's okay for me to hate you now because you are a person who 
has, you know, politicized Jesus or you have, you know, thought that American politics and and the Bible mix and it's this like Christian nationalism and it's, you know, it's okay for me to hate you if I think that you've somehow harmed other people with your beliefs. And it just, it's like, no, we're kind of just doing the same thing on a completely different side. And so I love your thoughts about like, just like Jesus and, and kind of rejecting it's hard. I mean, uh, it's hard for me to think of people just not thinking of politics first, but I think that if we can untangle Jesus from our political party of choice, whichever one that it is, you know, that like real change could happen. And I feel like that we could really love people, even people whose political opinions we think are moronic, you know? Right. And it does. It That's where it challenges us um, as followers of Jesus to ask, we actually need his presence with us because it's very easy to feel justified in hating the morons. Right. <laughs> and Jesus has actually called us to love everyone. And that's where, I mean, I cannot do that without the Holy Spirit. I, I don't know. I, I don't know anything else to say to that, except to say, if he doesn't supply me with his own presence and me to get out of my own way, I'm not going to live faithfully for him in the world. There's more than enough opportunities to live for myself. So I do think that that's where he's inviting us into something richer and better. And I think we need to pay attention. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I just want to say, like, before we close, like, I wish every single, like, congregation in the United States could listen to this podcast, not because of anything I've said, but just because of your words. I just think that they're um, really powerful and that if, if people could listen, like, with ears to hear, that it, it could make so much of a difference. Um, I just think I maybe the answer is just to keep speaking out about it and to keep talking about uh, kind of this big discrepancy between who Jesus actually is and what he's actually called us to. And then as Christians, kind of who we've become and what we're kind of doing. Um, but I really appreciate it. I just want to say I, I appreciate you quite a bit. I think this is a really important topic of conversation. Like we don't always get into like the church and quite this much of a discussion that's like all based on like, um, you know, scripture and, and how we should behave and live within the church. Uh, But I think it's important because, you know, for survivors to ever feel comfortable and safe and loved and ministered to in a church for them to ever be like, Oh, this is a place where my brokenness can be healed. Like, I think we have to do the things that you've been talking about today on the podcast. Otherwise it's always going to be a, you know, I can't, sorry, I wish we could care about you more, but we can't because, you know, of whatever political reason that we can't. So I really appreciate you taking Mm -hmm. the time to talk about this today. I think it's super important um, for people to hear. Well, thanks for inviting me on. And yeah, I'm glad you were thinking this way because this is a great topic to share with anyone. And we'll just pray that it gets into the right right people's earbuds and on their on their phones and they can listen in. Absolutely. A book that you might like, it's called Scandalous Witness. Um, the subtitle is a, a Little Political Manifesto for Christians. It's written by Lee Camp. I actually interviewed him, I think it was December 17th of last year. So it's on my podcast as a by the book episode. Um, 
but he says some great things. His whole thing, he's the one that's really like, it's a Christian faith is a politic. Like, let's, let's get this understood. And he talks about the partisan divides and he talks about the Christian nationalist idea and he pushes back on both the right and the left and talking about how it's this third thing that is, that is different. But he says um, on page 30 of his book, he says, insufficient data may be found among Christians to confirm that Christianity is true. And consequently, we Christians may be among the primary players responsible for the rapid rejection of Christian faith in the West. Not the secularists, not the liberals, not the conservatives, not the Americans, not the communists. And then he quotes First Peter 4, judgment must begin with the household of God. And I personally think that that is a, is a misunderstood idea in the church is that we so often want to see ourselves as the righteous ones and that the enemies of God and the people that God's going to judge are all those outside the church or outside the right belief system. But all through the Bible, God is relentless with his own people first. So if his own people have something wrong, boom, pull the log out of your own eye. And then you're going to see how to remove the speck from your brothers. He's constantly elevating his people's sins ad infinitum higher than everybody else's because he wants them to be as pure and holy as possible. That's what causes the spread and the growth of his presence throughout the world. Not, we think standing on a hill, you know, a city shining on a hill, we think that means we stand up and shine a flashlight down on all those dark places below us, all those people that are beneath our righteous ways. And we've completely missed the boat because that that's been done by every culture in every age forever. And, um, but that, that book is excellent and I couldn't recommend it highly enough for people that want to, want to chew on that. I definitely want to read that. Well, Joshua, thank you once again for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it so much. And I know that your words are going to resonate with a lot of people. And hey, don't forget that Joshua has his own podcast. It is called Unbinding the Bible. And he just has a way of explaining scripture and speaking that's so awesome. And it's just more of what you heard from him today and a lot of really good stuff. Love his podcast. And I know you will as well. Unbinding the Bible, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find him there. And I'll link to it in the show notes as well. Well, that is a wrap on this episode of Survivor Sanctuary. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Survivor Sanctuary with me, Kelly Downing. If you found value in today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Not only will it put a big smile on my face, more importantly, your reviews will help make it easier for other survivors and survivor advocates to find this podcast. Also, make sure you subscribe to Survivor Sanctuary wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also join the conversation in our Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And for exclusive content, be sure to visit SurvivorSanctuary.com. Join me next time for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then.